Good evening. I think this is a very interesting ceremony. You know, um, uh, Buddha taught 2,500 years ago for 60 years. And uh, during that time, he you know, nurtured a lot of practitioners in the Dharma, and they in turn nurtured their descendants and all the way down to us. And so in this ceremony, we have a chance to take care of Buddha. And so when we do that, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, this is, um, we're celebrating Buddha's birth. So we need to see Buddha as a baby sometimes. You really don't. See him as extremely awakened and wise person. But that person doesn't seem to need our care. But thinking of that person as a small child, you know, it evokes in us uh, what Dogen called grandmotherly mind, or the mind that takes care of all beings. So, this is our opportunity to repay his kindness by doing kindness. And the place is when we celebrate the Buddha's birth. Much of what happens during what happened during Buddha's life is known only by legend. Uh, we know much more about what he taught, and actually we know about where he taught and who he taught to, because all of the early sutras start out um, articulating where the talk was given and to what group of people the talk was given. So we know about where he taught. Uh, which people he talked to. But we don't really know who he was. Except it's not a problem. Because when we know the Dharma, then we're in contact with him. In deep contact. Historically, uh, we do know a few things. Buddha was born in Kapilavastu. Kapilavastu is um, in southern Nepal, it's in the watershed of the Ganges River. Uh, and he awakened in Bhagavad uh, and the place is actually called Bodhgaya now. Uh, Bodhgaya means the place of awakening. And he gave his first teaching at Varanasi. Varanasi, sometimes I'm matched with it as Benares. Um, and that was his first teaching, but he actually he taught all over the Ganges Plain. Um, and he entered Nirvana, he, he passed away at Kushinagar. Um, when he was dying, Nirvana uh, go to Kushinagar, and Ananda, his attendant, said, Don't go to Kushinagar. It's a wattle and daub town in the back of beyond. You should go to a more important place where more people could be with you. I don't know if you've ever seen wattle and daub construction. Uh, I'm sure they have it in India to this day. I, um, I saw it in the Yucatan. You know, um, it's really uh, profoundly simple. It's 
just a construction of thin branches that are held together with mud in play. It's pretty basic. So this was the place where Buddha died at this very poor place. And we know about those places in his life. And then we have legends. The legend about his birth is that in the life before this, before he was born, he lived in what was called the Tushita heaven. This is the, like the highest heaven. Um, in fact, the next Buddha, his name is Mike Turner, is there now, waiting for his or her chance to uh, be born. And said that uh, when he descended from the Tashita heaven, he entered the womb of Queen Maya of the Shakya clan. And um, he was born in a garden. Uh, at his birth, which was after exactly 10 lunar months gestation, um, he was born in this garden. And a nearby tree, reached one of his branches down so that uh, Queen Maya, in giving birth, could support herself. That's, that's the reason. My favorite part of the legend about his birth is that when he was born, a great radiance penetrated even the darkest places in heaven. Those places that could not even be touched by the power of the sun and the moon were filled with light. And the people who were born in those places saw for the first time. And they looked around and they said, Oh, there are other people here. Can you imagine, you know, the isolation. Living someplace that is really dark, you didn't even know if there were other beings there. But when he was born, people could see. People could see who they were with. People could see that they were not in war. It's pretty, you know, unusual situation. Maybe we don't have to use our imaginations too much. Because I'm sure all of us have been in a situation at some point in our lives when we didn't know whether we had any support or not. So that was the situation of these people who lived in our lives. So the Sutra says when he was born, this great life went out and also. All of the world systems trembled. And I'm not sure I've ever heard a more powerful description of what happens when you meet the Buddha. The great tremor of the Dharma goes through everything. And the normal course of things gets shaken. 
we were just reading the passage uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh. And uh, he talked about Buddha's purpose was to shake us up in his teachings, to dislodge our habits and our prejudices so that we could be free from them. And we have the opportunity to re-examine ourselves. Maybe for the first time, we could see others as they really were. I think this is a pretty good metaphor for the outcome of Buddha's teaching. That those of us who spend our lives in darkness get a chance to see what is right here and to notice that we're not alone. Notice that we have some. Notice that there are others like us and like us, they need our Of course, that's why we established this practice place. That's why we remember the place of Buddha's birth on April 8th. Buddha was born in Kapalavastu, 1460 West Chicago Avenue, <laughs> Nepal, entrance on green. <laughs> the sutra says that. Buddha was born unsullied, meaning not stained with any blood or tears from his presence. It reminds me of my talk from last week that I talked about practice and realization are undefined. Buddha, when he was born, was undefined. It's not so interesting that. That which was base did not stick to it. It was able to release it as a word. Buddha himself, at one point, one of teaching said that his power was miraculous, but um, it was so ordinary. He said his most important ability was that he was able to sustain his mindfulness. So that walking he knew he was walking, and sitting down he knew he was sitting down. Mindfulness is simply our ability to see what is right here and to know it for what it actually is. Buddha said his power was to know that his thoughts were just thoughts. And his feelings were just feelings. In the Sutra, Buddha, uh, Buddha attributed his ability to awaken to the fact that he didn't get caught up in the proliferation of thoughts that happened in his mind and in every one of us. That has a great metaphor for this. He was able to pass through the forest of thorns. Forest of thorns. Thorns always get caught. He was able to not get caught in these things. And so he was able to go beyond that. 
But you, you come to the world as it actually is. And that's basically what we do. Oh, you shook us up. But the idea is that they tell us how to get beyond our thoughts about things and instead enter completely in how things are. How to overcome our prejudices about other people and what they're like. And instead to see them and ourselves as we really are. Buddha's family name was Gotama. And he was called Siddhartha. Siddhartha means one who achieves his goal. But after he awakened, he called himself the Tathagata. Tathagata is Sanskrit phrase, really. It means one who has thus come and who has thus gone. Sometimes it's translated as one who comes and goes in thusness, in the way things really are. Thusness, thusness. So I think I understand why the ancient stories resorted to such fantastic tree benzes. It's branched out to support the return. Fountains appear in the sky. They're trying to express something about what is it like to encounter the Buddha way. When we encounter the Buddha way, we are astonished because we've never thought that before. What do you mean there's no sense? And we are living. And it's all we can do to find a way to express and to, to offer effects, to express our gratitude and to offer things. For misfortune of realizing the Buddha. Sometimes words don't capture, or sometimes uh, you know, our normal ways of thinking don't capture, so we need these. These uh, grandiose metaphors try to convey something about the power of the experience of the Buddha way emerging in our lives. And sometimes we develop rituals and forms that allow us a deeper expression. You know, the legend is that when he was born, Buddha had the capacity that normally only adults have, that babies don't have. It said that he could walk on his own, and he could speak. And he saw who he was in relation to the world. So it said that right after he was born, his first act was to walk seven steps in each direction and pointed to the sky and the earth below and said uh, below the sky and above the earth i alone am the world other 
So our great teacher Dogen gave many talks to his once on Buddha's birthday. So I, I thought I would share. He said, on this day, living beings find their father and manage the family business. It's kind of what we do, right? <laughs> Sages see their teacher and become cheerful. Hibernating insects must be glad for the present auspicious happiness. It's like it's a light finally reached into the burrows of all those hibernating insects. Be glad with them, too. And it says, as the spring proceeds, we increasingly love the thundering birds. As the spring proceeds, we increasingly love the thundering birds. This was not true of my dog Kelly, who was very afraid anytime there was lightning and thunder. She did not love the thundering birds. I don't think Tolkien is simply talking about. You know, spring understand. I think he's talking about the spring, the new life that comes out of Buddhist teachings and out of our ability to, to meet Buddhist teachings. And as the spring proceeds, as we move forward in the Dharma, we increasingly love the Dharma. is saying that the deeper we go, the more we are renewed. Then Robin asks that question. Who says he descends from the Tushita heaven? And why does only Maya, Buddha's mother, have a sacred womb? Who says he descends from the Tushita heaven? And why does only Maya have a sacred womb? Is he actually elsewhere in some other place and he came here? His name was the Tathagata. His name is one who's always here in Vasmas. Did he come from some other place before this, or was he always right here to meet our feet? We say that he was born from Maya, but really, wasn't he delivered from the whole earth and sky? Aren't we all really delivered from the whole earth and sky?
where he says, with virtue and wisdom as abundant as the sands of the Ganges River. In the great thousands of worlds, the Udambara blossoms. It's said to bloom once every 30,000 years. And it's blooming tells us how rare it is for a Buddha to be born and for us to be able to encounter. So we're going to ask one final question. Although this is as it is, how is the house of Petro? After this lofty chant, he says, at the practical level of helping living beings, how is our house doing? How is our Bodhisattva spirit? In the imagery of Buddha's birth, we have him taking steps, walking the path without delay, without waiting till he was old enough to do it. Just demonstrating to us that the path was right now, that the path leads from here to everywhere in the jungle. On Buddha's birthday, we are asked to reflect how many are we doing on this path that leads everywhere in the tomb. I know for me, it's very true that Buddhist teaching really did shake my world, the world trembled. And they put me on a new path. And who will forever be grateful to this person who lived 2,500 years ago? And to the Dharma, and to our Zen practice. At the time in my life when I first came across the Dharma, I had come to a kind of a crisis about well, what is my true path? Once I started practice, then practicing this and sharing it with others was the only thing that made sense to me. And even through many ups and downs, that has not made me. So Dogen asks of us, how is the patch, how is the house of petrol? After a pause, Dogen said, destroying emptiness and tearing apart existence brings inexhaustible benefits. Talk about the benefits of tearing through all of our concepts, even the whole ones. Let's talk about these benefits being endless. The form and emptiness are both dissolved, what are we left with? 
We are left with taking care of what is right here. Taking care of each other. And taking care of the world. So don't get ended this talk by saying, through plain with a monk's staff, another branch sprouts. That's what we're doing. We're playing with the monk's staff. We're playing with the wooden ladle. We're playing with the little Buddha statue. Maybe it seems frivolous, but I think really what it is talking about, we should take delight in the Dharma. If we do that, then this is how we turn this space into a new branch on Buddha's tree. A branch that reaches all the way from the root. And so this is maybe, maybe the playfulness and joy of our practice is its primary virtue. In our practice here, the Ulambara blossoms. And the ten directions are one radiant light. So I want to ask you, when you reflect on the impact of Buddha's birth in your lives, do you feel that things were shaping up? Or that maybe some of the dark corners were eliminated? 